0: Well, hello, everyone. Hello. My name is Matt, um, and if you were not paying attention earlier, this is Youth Sunday, um, if that just slid by. Um, And I am so excited. Um, I'm also a little emotional um, this morning. So I have a Kleenex in my back pocket um, because it is just so amazing to see and to be able to just celebrate um, just what God has been doing in the lives of our students. Um, It's also sad to think about. They're, they're moving on, and so we're not going to think about that right now. They've got all summer. Don't worry, parents. They've got three months. Three months is a lifetime. <laughs> um, so so I'm excited this morning, um, and, and I'm, I'm so excited this morning. Our, our topic for this morning is we are talking about experiencing truth, and you'll notice that this is part one of a two-part sermon, and actually the, the second part of this sermon will actually take place this morning, in second service, um, we're being a little goofy this week. Um, it's student Sunday. I'm allowed to just kind of get away with stuff. Um, so so I'm going to. Um, but in this service, I am going to direct a message at our graduating seniors. Um, and this message is one that has been heavy on my heart as a youth pastor for, for not just this year, but every year in May. This is what is on my heart, and this is what is on my mind as we finish out the year and as we approach the summer for our seniors. You see, for for everyone here, I want to tell you, seniors especially, seniors, 75% of graduating seniors who consider themselves Christians by the end of their first year of college consider themselves no longer Christian or atheist or agnostic, but they no longer claim Christ. 75%. That means I it's so hard to tell how many of you are this morning cuz you're all spread out it's not your fault it's my fault I should have made y'all sit so there's a... That means like like if there's 8 of you, I think there's 8 of you but I could be counting wrong but if there are 8 of you it means that 6 of you a year from now if this statistic holds true if this statistic hold tr- holds true then 6 of you will say that was something from my childhood I no longer believe this and that is sobering. And, and so this morning in this first service, I'm going to talk to you seniors. For, for everyone else, I want to tell you, there is a lot that you can take from this service. Um, there, but, but I'm going to talk just to our seniors in this service. And I'd encourage you, the, the second service will be posted online as well. Take some time this week. Because in the second service, I'm going to offer a commission to our church on behalf of our seniors. But in this service, on behalf of our church, I want to commission you seniors as you go out. So let's begin with prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for these young men and women, most of who walked yesterday. I think a few are walking in the next couple weeks, but Lord, we thank you that this year is the culmination of their high school, that that they have done such a good job, that they are graduating, that they are ready for what is next, Um, and we thank you that they have been a part of our church and that we can send them off and celebrate their accomplishments. And we pray this morning that as I speak, that, that your words, your truth um, would just speak through me, that your spirit would be speaking to each and every heart in this room and especially our seniors. We, we pray that 75% of them or more would stay in the faith, not fall away from it. And we pray that this morning and this summer that, that myself and their parents and the church can just support them and prepare them as they go off to college. And, and we pray, Lord, that you would just bless this time we, we thank you that you are so good, and we thank you that you have given us truth in your word. We pray that these would be your words and not mine. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So we're talking about experiencing truth this morning, and as we start the conversation, we need to define truth. And, and the de- definition I am going to use today for truth, as I pull out my microphone, um, the, the definition we're going to use today for truth is God's word. And the reason for that is because God, God, if the Bible is true, God is perfect. And, and if God is perfect, then God's word, it, it's his speaking, it's his perfect revelation of who he is, then it is our primary source of truth. It is our best source of truth when we rightly handle it. And so, seniors, as we start our conversation this morning, I want to tell you that, that if this is truth, then, then what the world views as truth is very different. And you know this. You you all know this because you you have heard things like, and I've heard this and I've believed this in the past, just this idea that that I have a truth and you have a truth and you have a truth, that that each and every person has their own truth. And and it's okay, uh, by, by the standard of the world, it's okay for me to have my own truth as long as my own truth does not impose or judge someone else's truth. And it's okay for me to have my own truth as long as my truth is not absolute in a way that makes someone else's truth wrong. And, and the problem with this that we run into immediately is that if God's word is true, then other truths cannot be true. Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, the way, the truth, and the life, if he says, I'm the only way to the Father, if he says all those things, then we can't say, well, it's good for you to be a Christian. But for me, I can do this other thing, and it's just as valid. So we either have to start with the Bible is fully true, or we have to throw it out altogether. You can't find a middle ground. There is no middle ground unless the Bible is wholesale wrong. And so I'm going to start from the assumption that the Bible is true. And we've talked about this this semester, um, uh, the resurrection. It is an event in human history that is undisprovable. Somebody may say, well, you can't really prove it, but I can say, show me a body. Show, Show me any proof that this did not happen. Show me why all of the disciples died horrible deaths for the most part holding on to this even though they gained nothing from it if it was false. And and that is why I hold the truth, because of the example of generations of Christ followers who have held deeply to this. And and so that is a truth we can hold to. And I will encourage you as you go off to college, the one other thing that you are going to experience in a deep way. Um, We have a a former student, Jessica Joslin, that a couple years ago, um, she she emailed me um, or texted me, probably texted, youth, don't email. Um, she texted me, um, and, and she sent this text that said, hey, and it was like a literature teacher, um, was spending a huge chunk of his lecture time actively trying to disprove the Bible. It had nothing to do with the class that they were in, but he kept bringing up, do you know about this other book, this book about Thomas? Do you know about this other thing? Why did they pick the books they picked? And, and Jessica became very upset, and she actually texted me, and I responded with, hey, here's a whole bunch of resources that actually talk about that intelligently. It's not just a professor throwing things out to try and get you to not believe something that he doesn't like. And so seniors, as we start, I want you to remember the resurrection as the foundation of why I believe this, and hopefully why you believe it as well, because if the resurrection is true, then the book that predicted it, the book that talks about it, and the book that is built around it is probably true as well. So my challenge for you is a simple one, and it's to pursue truth. Pursue truth. Um, when I was younger, I, I thought about my faith as a moment. There was a moment where I became a Christian and where I accepted Jesus and where, where I was sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that is all true. I didn't mean to do a cross there. It just happened. Um, so, so. Um, <laughs> I, oh, man. Oh, man, it's Youth Sunday. We can, uh, but no, uh, so... So I was sealed by the Holy Spirit. No cross sign. Um, and, 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 and when that happened, I became a believer. I became a child of God. But that does not mean that all of a sudden, everything I believed was true. It meant that now I have the Holy Spirit in my life allowing me to pursue truth in a way that I could actually get closer and closer to truth because we know that the Spirit helps us to see the truth and, and to help us wrestle with the truth and help us be transformed by the truth. And so, seniors, I want to tell you, it is your job to pursue truth. And I want to tell you, it is now your responsibility. And I use the word now there because some of you may not have realized this, but it has already been your responsibility. Most of you go to schools where you get to pick a whole lot of your schedule. You have blended classes, which I don't, you've explained them to me, but it just sounds like your teachers want breaks. Um, But but um, And I love teachers. My wife is a teacher, but I have to make a joke there. But, but it is now your responsibility to pursue truth just as it already has been. And the other side of it is now your responsibility is that right now, May 19th, it is your responsibility to pursue truth. If you wait until whatever day in August, if you say, when I go to college, I'm going to be an awesome Christian, and then all summer you never open your word and never take steps towards the truth, When you go to college, you're going to be ill-prepared. And so take this to heart. It is your responsibility right now to pursue truth. Now I have an example um, of a way that I have pursued truth um, and a quest I have been on in the pursuit of truth and it involves Ezekiel 4-9 bread. Um, Our students are excited. The first time I ever taught a lesson at Springbrook on a Sunday morning, it was about this wonderful bread. Okay, so before I jump into this, if you have food allergies or if you eat this bread because you enjoy the flavor of this bread, that's okay. No judgment. If you eat this bread because it's got a Bible verse attached to it. <laughs> so Ezekiel 4.9 bread um, uses words that occur in Ezekiel 4.9 and they stop in Ezekiel 4.9, but you notice the dot, dot, dot there. Um, unfortunately, the recipe they use, they only follow the first part of it. So I sent a question. This is actually from three years ago. I sent an email to the Food for Life organization about their bread recipe. Specific question. I wanted to make sure that your cooking fuel matches the standards of the rest of your operation. Are you using human dung that comes from people who only eat organic, non-GMO, and gluten-free? Please let me know. I'm hopeful that your product will meet my strict biblical standards. The Food for Life representative responded, and I've redacted this person's name, um, but responded, Good afternoon, Matt. Thank you for contacting us regarding our cooking methods. We do not use human dung in our cooking procedures whatsoever. Please let us know if you need further assistance. Redacted, customer relations, Food for Life Baking Company. And seniors, this is a really special day because it is the three-year anniversary (laughs) of of when this email first happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not even planned. When I pulled this email up, I was just giddy because I was like, oh, we got to talk about that. Um, so now let me, let me explain. Um, so I sent an email back same day. Hey, so I was just looking at the recipe from Ezekiel 4.9. The recipe extends into verse 12. It says, also take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Put them in a single container and make them into bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the number of days you lie on your side, 390 days. The food you eat each day shall be, weight, be eight ounces by weight. You will eat it from time to time. You are also to drink water by measure, a sixth of a gallon, which you will drink from time to time. You will eat it as you would eat a barley cake and bake it over dried human excrement in their sight. Now it says here, this is Ezekiel 4, 9 through 12, ESV. Um, in, the, in the pursuit of truth, I need to tell you this is actually the net translation. Um, and so I miscited that, and I couldn't remove it because I'm trying to be as truthful as possible today. Um, and, and so then I went on to say, if you're not using human dung, which I think is good, I thought you might want to know about that. If someone looked up the verse in context, they'd probably be pretty disgusted by the recipe. Have a great day. So, so church, um, Ezekiel 4, and, and the whole like two-thirds of the book of Ezekiel are about judgment coming to Israel and about how Israel hasn't just, doesn't have just judgment coming. Israel has earned every bit of that judgment. In Ezekiel 1, God appears to Ezekiel, and when God appears to Ezekiel, it is in the land of Babylon. Ezekiel is in exile. This is after one, the start of the exile that we see happen in stages where all of Israel is eventually removed from Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. When God appears to Ezekiel in chapter 1, The temple is still standing, but the presence of God is in Babylon talking to Ezekiel, this prophet. And and God is telling him, you need to go accuse the people of Israel. And so he has him make all these statements, and then he does these play acts. And so for one series of 390 days, he actually lays down on one side in front of a brick, and he essentially tells everybody who passes, judgment is coming, Israel, you stand accused. And then at the end of that time, he's been laying 390 days, God says, all right, lay down again on your other side. And as you're laying down, you're going to take these six ingredients and make them into little barley cakes. And you're going to eat a very small amount of food every day. And you're going to lay on your side, and you're going to, drink a small, or you're going to eat a small amount of food and drink a small amount of water. And what he is doing for 390 days is he is saying, Jerusalem. You are about to go under siege. When you are in siege, these six ingredients, they're not magical ingredients. They're the last things they'd have in every pantry and every storehouse. They're going to be looking around like, what are we going to eat? Well, let's just mix it all together and see what we come up with. What are we going to cook it on? Human dog. That, that's, that is what's happening here. God is telling Ezekiel, Judgment is coming to Israel. Make sure they know. Lay on your side. Eat this gross bread. And, and the other promise behind the gross bread, that um, cooking it over the, the human dung, is to signify that the Israelites are about to be judged. And when they're judged, they're going to wind up among the nations. They're going to wind up having access only to defiled foods. Judgment is coming. So after I sent this email and made Food for Life aware Um, I was really confident that I had brought about a major social change and that they would change the name of their bread and just call it kind of bread based on a recipe or words from Ezekiel 4 9. I was wrong. (sighs) So I got this email back um, from them, and I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to point some things out. Um, So it begins, Hi, Matt. We understand your concern about the verse regarding the bread and the fuel to make it, However, the only verse that's being used is simply verse 9 regarding the ingredients used in the bread. Nothing else. So I just want to, the only verse that's being used is simply verse 9 regarding the ingredients used in the bread. It's going to be important. To help clarify this, here is more information on, verse, on the verses and how our bread came to be. And now there's quotation marks there. And actually, at the end of this huge unit in the middle, um, there are quotation marks. And so I was like, oh, okay, they must have found a commentary that explains their bread. And so I I googled this quote. Um, I googled chunks of it to try and figure out what commentary did they take this from. I take the pursuit of truth very seriously. And when I did this, I found that there was no match for any of it. And so some people might give up there, Um, but I ran it through a plagiarism check. And um, you can't really tell... Um, I I should have used a different color, but essentially there are little chunks that are highlighted there, but most of it is unhighlighted, and that means it was not plagiarized. And and I'm not accusing them of plagiarism there. I was trying to see, with plagiarism checks, you can usually find the resource it came from. And so I wanted to know if I could find where it came from. And so the conclusion I came to is this is an internal prepared statement by the Food for Life company. They have written this commentary, and let me tell you, I'm not going to dig into it, but it is explicitly 100% wrong. Their entire focus is how do we rationalize the recipe of our bread? The whole thrust of it ends at Ezekiel chapter 4, even though the book is 48 chapters. And, And their whole focus is, you know what, our bread's okay, because what happens in the story is when God says cook it over human dung, Ezekiel says, Lord, I will not do that. Not because he thinks cooking over dung is gross, but because... Cooking over human dung, based on the Old Testament, would be, and probably the New Testament, it'd still be pretty gross, but was considered a defiled way of cooking. And so anything prepared over human dung would be considered defiled. And Ezekiel said, Lord, I've never tasted something defiled. Please don't make me. And so God says, all right, you can use cow dung. And now when we say that in our modern ears, it still sounds pretty gross, but in ancient and even as recently as like the pioneers crossing the prairies this would have been a normal way of cooking would have been cow's dung this is not unusual but in a siege they're not going to go out to their flocks and so that's why God started with the human dung so at the end of the prepared statement the the concluding paragraph is this you can rest assured Food for Life's 2,500 year old prodigy of this amazing Old Testament bread is not baked with either human or cow dung We bake it in ovens using clean, natural gas. It can be enjoyed by anyone wanting to experience what God intended. We're going to focus there in a second. Um, What's even more amazing is its nutritional value. It's second to none. Ezekiel ate this amazing bread for 390 days as his only food source. And it's the same today as it was then. Now, church, I promise you, that when God told Ezekiel, lay on your side and start eating this bread, the point of this was not to start a new bread company. Ezekiel was not laying on his side like, hey guys, Jerusalem's going to fall, but you've got to try this bread. Ezekiel was not, he would have been miserable in this story. He would have been feeling awful. He would have been wasting away. He's eating a small amount of bread drinking a small amount of water. He's laying there basically going into atrophy. And the whole idea of the story is that God is trying to show Israel, this is where you are headed. I'm using Ezekiel, my prophet, to tell you this is what is coming. And it's the same today as it was then. Now now we're going to do some math, seniors. Some of you may never have to do a math class again if you passed out of them. If you did, well, job. Um, so at the start of this passage, or passage, at the start of this email, um, the, the food life, or the customer relations person from food for life said, the only verse that's being used is simply verse nine regarding the ingredients used in the bread, nothing else. Okay. But then at the end, it can be enjoyed by anyone wanting to experience what God intended. When you put those things together, you come away with something that I like to call poopy bread. Okay, now, now, church, I need to say something real quick. It is Youth Sunday, but I do not want you to come away thinking that every week back in the youth room we're making poop jokes. We don't. The only times it comes up is when the Bible calls for it, and today the Bible calls for it. You see what happens here, and why I am so bothered, and why I am I am willing to make a sermon illustration out of this? It's probably a bread company full of people who are Christians, is because the reason that they are using this verse is to try and get people to think this is the type of bread that God wants us to eat. It is a marketing gimmick. And they are doing it because they want to sell their bread. How do I know this? Because they have a massive prepared statement that is bending Scripture, not even trying to consider the actual story happening. Why they are doing this is because they want to sell bread. I don't really mind the bread. I've had samples of it at Costco. I don't think it's very good but that's because I can eat gluten. Um, If you can't eat gluten and you eat this bread because it is a dietary reason, great. If you eat this bread because you say, I want to experience what God intended, the only way that is going to happen is if as you eat it, you are miserable. And that might be if you've tasted it. Um, (laughs) So I'm not going to go too far down that one. Eating poopy bread is taking scripture and bending it to your own desires. Seniors. As you go out, I want to tell you, and this is sobering and sad, but when you go out, there are so many churches and so many Christians that use Scripture to fit their worldview. No, this is bad. I think did I? Oh, you're saying, you're agreeing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. I wondered if I said it wrong at first. So that's my bad. That's my bad. I was going back. Okay. They take scripture and they bend it to what they want it to be. And they do this because it's comfortable. They, they consume poopy bread or they turn scripture into this poopy bread idea because they want it to be what they want it to be. They don't want to pursue truth. They don't want the responsibility of what truth might tell them to do. And so they tris, twist it into whatever they want. Eating poopy bread is not just when we bend scripture to our own desires, but when we accept how others have bent truth to their desires. I've got an example of this. Ezekiel 4 9 serial. Okay, someone texted me that yesterday. I'd never heard of it, and so I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it. But I have another example that'll hit a lot closer to home. God is love. God is love, um, but this verse right now is one of the most twisted verses in all of Scripture because you know what? It's not even a verse. It's a part of a verse. I'm going to preach on this next week. I'm going to talk about experiencing love, and we are going to talk about God is love. There's a word before it. It's for or because or it's it's not God is love in a vacuum. And so whatever I do, God is love. It's okay. But that is how it is used by many people. There is a growing Christian movement that is focused on God is love. How on earth could God be involved in the cross or the crucifixion or the death of his son? God is love. Therefore, that cannot be. God is love, therefore there cannot be wrath. There is a movement that says God is love and we don't need to balance that with any of the other truth about God. And that is a movement in the world. And seniors, when you go out, that is a movement. You may go to a church that that's all they preach. And they may preach poopy bread week after week. And so I want to tell you don't eat poopy bread, but I also want to tell you it is your responsibility, seniors, to not eat poopy bread. Okay, If you go to a church and every week at that church what they are serving up for you is bending scripture to what they want it to say. If you eat it every week, 20 years from now you can't say, well it was that pastor's fault. Because you ate it. You ate it over and over. I have done my best over these last three years to make sure I never serve up poopy bread. If I am not sure of how a verse is to be said, I, I try and just avoid it, to skip it, to ignore it. until I have time to study it. I I try not to teach you things that I am not confident that I'm at least trying to find the intended reason that God put it in there. Not trying to say, do this, because I think it might be what God intended. And you have that same responsibility. You also have the same Holy Spirit. Don't eat poopy bread. There's one final thing here. Do not trade truth for comfort. Because I want to tell you, the reason people eat poopy bread and the reason people preach poopy bread is it's not because they're like you know what I don't really like God I don't like truth I you know what I'm I'm just going to do my own thing and see how many people I can trick no we're going to talk about this a lot more in the second service the the reason that that we trade or that we eat poopy bread and the reason people preach it is because we trade truth for comfort we're we're willing to say you know what rather than be confronted by truth I would rather feel really good today. We go to our Bibles in times of trial, and we open it and read, and we're encouraged, but in in the good times, we never bother opening it because we already have comfort. Therefore, we wind up only pursuing truth when we're in a crisis. And and at that point, we go places that'll comfort us and just just remind us of what we already want to hear. And seniors, I believe that this is why so many seniors graduate, and they go off to college, And a year later, they no longer claim Christ. Because this is comfortable, right? When you come to youth group, hopefully we're a safe environment. Hopefully we are a place that you can hang out and and get to know more about God. And and our church as a whole, hopefully, is a warm and inviting place for you. And it's a comfortable place. And it's a place that if you don't come here, your parents might make you feel uncomfortable and say, why aren't you waking up Sunday morning? Three months from now, the question of why aren't you waking up on Sunday morning is going to be your own. And the question of why aren't you in the Word is already your own. But three months from now, unless your roommate is really pushing on you, they're probably going to be just like, okay, whatever. I'm going to go out with my friends, you go out with yours. Or they might like you. I don't know. My roommate and I didn't get along very well. But we did play a lot of video games. In fact, I missed a lot of church because I would stay up really late playing video games. Um, And kids, I played lame video games. And so trust me, there are lame reasons that you will skip church and you will trade truth. For comfort. If you're not willing to pursue truth and pursue it now, avoid eating poopy bread and do not trade truth for comfort. I, I want to give you an outline of the book of Ezekiel, just briefly. We're not going to go into the whole book, but I want to tell you Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel is a perfect story of God telling a people, do not trade truth for comfort, because in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel sees the glory of God in Babylon, something that the Israelites would have never expected. In Ezekiel 2 through 11, God sends Ezekiel to different places to just say, you stand accused, Israel. You stand accused. And what were they accused of first? They were accused of the sins of their fathers and their forefathers and all of their ancestors. They were still doing. Remember, it is your responsibility to pursue truth, seniors. If your parents are not pursuing it, it is still your responsibility to pursue it. That is part of what Israel is accused of, is saying, well, that's not our fault. That's not our bad. That's someone else's. And so it is your responsibility to pursue truth. On, on top of that, they are being accused of ignoring God's word. Over and over, God is sending them prophets and they are saying, you know what, I don't care. And, and finally, in, in the midst of this, um, and we see this illustrated much better in other prophets, in Jeremiah and in the other prophets that were around during the fall of Jerusalem, but but many of the other Uh, Many of the Israelites, when they were hearing these accusations, were going and finding a second opinion. They were saying, oh, that prophet says judgment is coming, and we're accused. Let's go find a prophet who will say, nah, it's okay. And so they went and found prophets that would comfort them. And the end result of that is that for 21 chapters of Ezekiel, God is laying the smackdown on Israel and, and on uh, the nations at large. And the judgment against Israel begins with a picture of if Daniel and Job and Moses were here. If they were here today and they went out and they preached what you're preaching, they would only be able to save themselves through their righteousness. God says basically that some of the biggest names in prophetic literature, some of the most holy people in the Bible, if they were here today, Ezekiel, they would only be able to save themselves the same way you're only able to save yourself. And, and he goes on to talk about Israel, and he uses Ezekiel. God illustrates this story of Israel and Judah. They, they become two nations, and God illustrates them as two sisters that God cares deeply for. But as the story goes on, uh, early on, the, the sisters, they cry out to God when they're in danger or when in times of trial, and, and, and he protects them from these other nations, but eventually these two sisters start saying to the nations, hey, come have your way with me. It gets very inappropriate. I'm not going to read any of it, but I want to tell you it becomes so inappropriate because Israel is like a prostitute that forgets to ask for money. That is the imagery. And, and these, Israel is like a prostitute saying, hey, come here and then I'll pay you. And that is the language used over and over in the book of Ezekiel because instead of turning to the God who is true, they decide, you know what I'm going to do instead? We're going to cry out to these nations because maybe if we can get them to stop attacking us at whatever cost, if we can get them to stop attacking us, then, then we won't have to cry out to God. We won't have to turn to truth because we'll have our comfort. And so in Ezekiel 33, Jerusalem falls. It's actually very brief in the book of Ezekiel. They just bam, bam, done. And and the reason for that in Ezekiel is because Ezekiel immediately pivots to start talking about hope for Israel. You see, because when you come to the other side of the fall of Jerusalem, God takes Ezekiel out and he tells him, Ezekiel, I want you to go give a different message. And that message is in Ezekiel 36. God says to Ezekiel, "'Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, "'It is not for your sake. "'I'm not doing this for you, O house of Israel.'" That I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. When it says I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, what God is saying is I have said I will do things. And because I have said I will do things, I am going to do them. Because I have committed this, I will do this. But know that it is not because of you, but because of me. And we see that throughout God's word, where when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And that is something true that we can take comfort in if we start off remembering the truth of it. And, and it goes on, I, to, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, you vindicate, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. The story of Ezekiel goes on from there. God promises he will give them a new heart of flesh. They have hearts of stone. He will give them a heart of flesh, and he will give them his spirit that they can follow him. And he gives a picture of hope from 34 to 48 where he talks about just the the new Garden of Eden with a temple in it now where the people can dwell with their God. And there is so much hope at the end. And that hope is because God has committed to his people that, that if... He is true, and if what he says is truth, then when they come to the other side of the judgment, they they can know that, that God will still do what he said he will do. He is still true. And so students, seniors, pursue truth. Know that it's your responsibility. It always was, but now it's your responsibility, just like before. Don't eat poopy bread. Please don't eat poopy bread. And do not trade truth for comfort. As, as we close, I'm going to say these a little more positively. D- oh, i got to go back. i got to say this the right way. So pursue truth. It is now your responsibility. Be part of a church that will support you. It is your responsibility to pursue truth, but you're not going to be able to pursue truth on your own. Seniors, this is what we've talked about at Thrive every week when we talked about the armor of God and how it doesn't cover you. You have no pants. Um, But also how even if you did have pants on, it wouldn't cover all of you. The need is for a community surrounding you where you and those around you are taking responsibility for pursuing truth on your own and being a part of a community that help each other pursue truth together. Don't eat poopy bread. Instead, take ownership of what transforms you. We are all being shaped in our lives. Make sure that what is shaping you is not poopy bread. Make sure that what is shaping you is actually truth. And finally, instead of trading truth for comfort, let truth bring lasting comfort. Seniors, at so many points in my life, things that I have done, to feel better about myself and to avoid having to deal with like like things. Um, I, I have turned to comfort and eventually you're just putting a Band-Aid on top of a Band-Aid on top of a Band-Aid, never healing. But when you lean into truth, when you let truth transform you, on the other side of that, what you come away with is you come away with lasting comfort. You no longer have a festering wound. It's been removed. But that doesn't happen until you let truth Bring lasting comfort. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these seniors who are graduating. I I, I thank you for um, just the way I know that they love you. And I pray, Lord, that as they leave here today, that they would continually pursue truth. I, I pray that where they are at today, a year from now, they will say, I've pursued truth this last year. I've grown in my faith. I've learned more about who I am in the Lord and I, I thank you so much, Lord, for just the, the gift of being able to disciple them and just the, the chance to, to be able to just get to know them and to just see how you're moving in their lives, to, to teach them and also to learn from them. And Lord, I, I pray as they go out that you would be preparing their hearts for, the, for just wherever they go. And I also pray for the churches that they are going to. Lord, I pray that they would find churches that honor your truth that pursue your truth, and that will help them on that journey. I pray that a year from now we will not hear about a bunch of kids who are falling away. And, and I pray that if they do, I pray that when they come home, they would know that no matter where they're at, they're welcome here. No matter what they're hurting, um, no, matter, no matter if they feel a little ashamed of where they're at. I, I remember feeling that my first year home from college. Um, and, and Lord, I, I pray that they would know that this is a safe place and that we just want to help them pursue truth. We thank you for this time that we have to celebrate them and to celebrate the baptisms and just everything going on. And we just, we ask that you would just bless this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.